like Let's that. Go. Father and daughter. Glory to God. We'll just, uh, what will we do? We're going to pray real quick. I don't know. Let me just fix this. Big brother. And then we're going to play, pray, play and pray. Thank you, Father, for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Thank you, Lord, that you're guiding us into the place where, uh, man, our lives are just shaped by, shaped by the knowledge of your Son. Yes, thank you, Lord, that you can see into our hearts, you can see into all our lives. I thank you, Father, that as we speak today and discuss the Scriptures and the spirit of prophecy, that your Spirit is moving in all of our hearts and all of our lives, yes, caring for us, pampering us with your life, thank serving us with thank all that Jesus. we need, removing everything thank that, you, that tries to harm our lives. Thank you, Father, that the eyes of our understanding be enlightened with the truth of the gospel. Amen. Amen. Um, glory to God. Uh, we were talking today at lunch, and I just wanted to tell everybody, because we're talking about revelation, and, and so many times you can get consumed with just a future aspect, right, with the book. And what I mean by just future, it becomes like you try to interpret it from a modern perspective. You try and interpret the events you read there and everything you see there only from a modern world perspective, right? Like you try to read Russia into the scriptures, or you try to read China into Revelation, or Rome. You try to read Rome into Revelation, or America, right? You know, everybody's prognosticating about Babylon, right? What country is it? Is it China? Is it Russia? Or is it America? Or is it all these different kinds of things? And what, what we're doing is we're reading a modern interpretation in the scriptures. I, so I just want to remind everybody, just because we thought about, we talked about this earlier, and it was just good. The book of Revelation was written to the churches then. It meant something to them then, when they read it. It meant something to every generation of believers that read it afterwards. And I promise you, not, the letter was written for those guys to be filled with hope. For those guys to find their souls comforted and filled with peace over the death they were experiencing in the earth. Because they were experiencing death in the earth. And I promise you this, hearing about how Russia would be destroyed one day is not going to give those guys in the early church any comfort or peace. Right. Hearing about America falling one day right. is not going to mean anything to those guys. Right. right? So when we think of what this means and the comfort it's going to serve us with, we have to be able to find some type of congruency with what it meant to them. Okay? And with that being said, we're gonna, we're, we'll read these verses a lot, but I just want to read this, this verse. We'll go back here again. But I just want to read the last part of this verse, Revelation chapter 18. And this is talking about Babylon. And I'm going to get to this again. But Babylon is not talking about a physical nation. Babylon is not talking about a physical nation. Yes, a physical nation in the Old Testament was used to teach something about Babylon just like the physical nation Israel was used to teach something about Babylon. But if you notice, Paul said, Israel is not Israel after the flesh. Do you see what he's saying there? That Israel, true Israel, is according to the heart and the circumcision of the heart. It's not talking about a physical nation. It's the same way with Babylon. Babylon is not Babylon after the flesh. It's not talking about a physical nation. It's talking about a belief in the heart. 
that makes something Babylon. And if you want to, we'll get into it a lot through the course of this, but real quick, Babylon is the system in the world. It's the wisdom of the world. It's the kingdom of darkness. It's the system that was planted in the world by Adam through the serpent that is the system of death. It's the system of I will traffic in the treasures in this world. I will gather the treasure, my treasures in this earth, and I will use my ability to gather that treasure to myself, and by that I'll be exalted unto life. That's what the serpent said. So that's the system of Babylon. Okay? Now these guys were suffering and dying in the early church because of the serpent's system of sin and death in the earth. Right? Right? So they needed to hear about how Babylon was going to be completely removed. And that they had a certainty that Babylon and its system of sin and death would be removed permanently. And that they would overcome it. So I'm just going to read the last verse of Revelation 18. Verse 24. This is talking about Babylon. And in her was found the blood of the prophets. You guys think America spilled the blood of the prophets? How about Russia or China? Okay. In her was found the blood of the prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. All that were slain upon the earth. Their blood is on Babylon's hands. Now, who does the scripture say was a murderer from the beginning? China? America? Russia? Satan was a murderer from the beginning. And his system is a system of murdering. And Cain was the first human after Adam that became a merchant of Babylon. Or walked in the Babylonian system. And what did he do? He tried to exalt himself unto life by the strength in his own hand. And what did that cause him to do? He murdered Abel. Right? So the early church was looking for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The corrupted wisdom that was planted in the earth through Adam. The same wisdom, the same tree that's producing all the death that's in the earth. The same tree that has the blood of everybody who's ever died on it. That same system, the serpent that was a murderer from the beginning. The first century believers, the second century believers, the third century believers, all of us. Do you know what we're looking for? We're looking for that system, that tree of knowledge of good and evil, that serpent, that prince of this world, and his system of death to be removed. Because all of us have lost people. And do you know what we've lost it to the hands of? The serpent and his system that produces death in this earth. So you know what we need to see in the book of Revelation? That we have a certainty that system will be removed. And he who stole will steal no more. And that the devourer will be rebuked. And his system will be forever removed from this earth. Right? And all that was taken will be restored exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or think. That's what we need to hear as we walk through this earth and the devourer constantly comes around trying to take from us. That's what they needed in the first century. Okay? So death being removed is a future event that has yet to take place. There is the glorification of this earth that is a future event that is yet to take place. There is the glorification of our bodies that is a future event that is yet to take place. But we do not want to read modern world things into this. It's the spirit of prophecy. It's the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so if you're reading Babylon and you're busy trying to figure out what worldly nation Babylon is, you're missing it. And you don't understand what's being said. 
And that's okay if that's you, because that makes you the same as everyone else. <laughs> and so there's no shame in having missed it, right? But rather, let us all come together and hug it out and say, I know, me too, me too, man, me too. But let us come out from that place where we are reading the scriptures like the world would. And let us stop and ask what the early church would have thought about this. Because he wrote it to them. Go read chapter 3. He lists all the churches. To the church, to the church, to the church, to the church. And I promise you, they don't care about Russia. <laughs> Do you know, they were being put on stakes and burned alive. Yeah. Yeah. They were being crucified and put in coliseums and being chewed up and eaten. That's the spirit of the Antichrist that was doing that. Even as John said, there's many Antichrists in the world now. That was the serpent working death in the earth through the knowledge of good and evil. And this early church needed to hear how that blood would be visited upon Babylon. And that means that Babylon would now suffer the wages of its own death, right? That the death that was in Babylon would come upon Babylon, right? Which is a natural occurrence, right? All you have to do is point at Babylon and say that the wages of your wisdom is death, and death will manifest from the inside out, right? Does that make, you guys following that? Does that make sense? That's how it says all the blood. All the blood, right? All the blood of all the people. Who's responsible for all the blood of all the people? That's what you want to ask yourself when you're reading about Babylon. There's only one thing you can attribute all the blood of all the people that have ever died. And it would have to be that serpent that was a deceiver, that was a liar from the beginning, that was a murderer from the beginning. Right? He's the one. So that's what we're looking at being ripped out. Does that make any sense? Yes. Just to re- re- revisit a couple of, of things. The last days, right? And I, I want to say this a bunch because your thoughts can be shaped by concepts and it becomes like cognitive dissonance, right? And it can, you can struggle to put it in its right place. But the last days are the last days where the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is going to be seen in the earth, right? Those are the last days. It's the end of the time. It's called the end times. One of the reasons why it's called the end times is because it's the end of the time where we're keeping time. There's no time in eternity. Right, right, yeah, I get it. <laughs> You see what I'm saying? You ain't yeah. gonna have a watch saying it's 12 o'clock noon today. Yeah. Right, it even says that there's no more sun. For the light, God is the light, right? And so the end times is the end of the time where we're keeping track of time. We're not in time anymore. We're outside of time because eternal life is not in time. One of the funny things I pray with God right now is I don't have enough time to do the things that I do. And along the lines that you and I were just talking about, I said to God, what is it about Jesus that he was never rushed? And I said, if you're outside of time and my life that I have is from you and that eternal life is outside of time, and certainly I can live as if I'm outside of time, even while walking in time. Yes. And that will help me not feel so rushed. Yes. <laughs> I hadn't sorted that out yet, but, you know, I'm like, that's got to be possible. Because you, yep. Jesus is like, just, no, no, taking his time. Mm-hmm. You know, where I feel rushed and sped up sometimes. And I'm like, Lord, how can I get everything? And I start to get stressed out. Right? But there's no, eternal life is not stressed out by time. Right. And so, I, Lord, wouldn't Peter say? Uh, increase my faith. Was it Peter that said that? (laughs) Right? And I don't mean it literally. I'm saying that as a funny joke. I have the faith of God. I'm trying to tap into the faith of God and just acknowledging with him. Right? 
It's the last days where the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil will be in the earth. That's why at the end of the book of Revelation, you see only the tree of life there. You don't see the tree of the knowledge of good and evil anymore. Right? In Genesis, you have the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It talked about Adam tending the garden. Remember when it talked about Adam tending the garden in Genesis? That, did, that wasn't talking about planting tomatoes. It wasn't talking about planting apples or oranges. It wasn't talking about him working, sweating from the brow. Notice God drew a distinction because after he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that's when it talked about him sweating from the brow. And so the work that God was talking about Adam doing before the fall had nothing to do with physical labor. What it had to do with was him eating from the tree of life. And had he eaten from the tree of life, you know what would have been plucked out and removed? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? And so when we talk about the last days, so many times we can look at this world and look in this world. There's a lot of beautiful things in this world. Does everybody agree? Yes. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in this world that I enjoy. And listen, it, the, the things are for us to, to enjoy. But if we look at the good things in this world and think that this world, is, is life is contained in this world, we're missing it. Right? We're misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. If you pull back the veil, do you know what really is this world? And I'm talking about not the earth. I'm talking about the world Adam founded. You know what's in it? A plague. I mean, we just lived through COVID. Where do you think that came from? It don't come from a new earth. There's no COVID in a new earth. There's no tree of knowledge of good and evil in the new earth. No one's living by the knowledge of good and evil in the new earth. There's no such a thing as sin anymore in the new earth. There's no such a thing as the fruit of death or the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil in the new earth. There's no such a thing as the serpent in the new earth. There's no such a thing as any of that. People are still eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil today. Today. There's none of that going on in the new earth. So we can look at the beautiful things that are in this world and think that they're good for food. But the system this world is founded on is full of the plague of death. That's why we see obituaries in the newspaper. That's why we see Russia and Ukraine warring together. I promise you, you're not removing the wars in the world just by loving people outwardly. Because do you know what's fathered the wars in the world? Death. The sting of death, physical death. The only way you're removing wars from this earth is not by singing kumbaya or holding each other's hands and singing across the nation. The only way you're removing the wars from this world is by removing death, physical death, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? So it's not that when we say it's the last days, when we say it's the end times, it's not the last days of earth. It's not the last days of all that is good. That's not what it is. Our, Paul said that we're in this world, but we're not what? Okay. When he says we're not of it, what he means is our life isn't of it. And if our life isn't of it, that means life itself isn't of it. So when we're talking about the last days of this world, we're not talking about the last days of life and all that is good. Because this world doesn't have life and it has a plague. We covered that last night. We're going to cover it again today. It's the last days of the plague. It's the last days of death. It's the last days where you can see darkness anywhere. It's the end of destruction. It's the end of being able to see destruction anywhere. Death is actively perishing. It is passing away from existence right now. Right? That's good news. The power it had over us has already been abolished, as the scripture would say. 
And the day is coming when it won't be seen anywhere. That's what it talks about, death being swallowed up, no longer existing, right? So it's the last days or the end of the time or the end of the age where we'll be able to see things like COVID anywhere. That ought to make us happy. Yes. We ought to look at that and feel like, oh, hallelujah. <laughs> and that's what the early church thought. Oh, hallelujah. It's the end of this present evil age. The present evil age is the age where there's death in it. Right? And so the revelation of Jesus Christ that the book of Revelation starts with, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ, the testimony of Jesus Christ, is like the casting out of a demon. And you see Jesus walking around in the earth and he walked by someone that had a demon in him. And what happened? The demon came... The demon manifested, and then he cast it out. The revelation of Jesus Christ is like that, if I give you an image. It's the Lord walking by the earth, and the demon that found it right to get inside of this earth, the God of this world, the prince of this world, manifesting because all things are laid bare in his midst. And when it manifests, the Lord of glory casts it out from the earth. That's what revelation is talking about. He passes by the earth, the death and the chaos that had demonized this earth. That's what we call it, right? An unclean spirit has come upon them. Yeah. A demon has come upon them. They're demonized. And they're full of confusion and chaos. What does it say about Genesis in chapter 1? That chaos and confusion and darkness was on the face of the deep. This earth has been demonized by death. It's been molested by the serpent in a system of sin and death. And the revelation of Jesus Christ is the Jesus casting out the unclean spirit of death. And that ought to make us happy. That's called the hope of the gospel. It's called the hope of the gospel. The revelation of Jesus Christ is not the bringing of the plague. It's not him bringing the plague. The testimony of Jesus Christ, his judgment is not what produces the plague. It's that which reveals the plague is already here. Is there anybody that confused about whether or not the plague is here? What about tribulation? Is it already here? Yeah. It's already here, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've encountered tribulation. All of you look like you're old enough to know that there's tribulation. All of you look like you're old enough to have experienced tribulation. The revelation of Jesus Christ is him casting out the plague and the system or the wisdom that produces the plague. And he casts it out once for all time, right? You'll know when this has happened, it'll be real clear. Because you won't see death anywhere anymore. You won't see a plague anywhere anymore. You won't see people filled with hatred anywhere anymore. Or gossiping, or backbiting, or envying. You won't see iniquity anywhere anymore, right? That's why these guys were so happy about that day. That's why they needed to hear about that day when they were being brought into the Colosseum and offered up. Right? Now, if we come and rip that away, we're destroying the hope of the gospel. And if we come and make it all about God bringing a plague to the earth, we're preaching it from the perspective of the devil. Because that's what the merchants of Babylon and the people that call the, fa the devil their father, that's what they're going to say about God when the plague manifests. They're not going to blame Babylon. They're going to blame God. And this is why we've gotten so twisted. We've preached revelation as if it's the revelation of destruction or the revelation of tribulation. 
It's not. It's the revelation of life coming and baptizing the earth and removing all that harmed us. But we've looked at it through a darkened understanding. We've looked at it through the carnal mind, and we've come and taught it as if it's about God coming to destroy the world. Coming to destroy earth and people. And so out of that gross error, now we got a bunch of people that recognize that can't be true. And so they want to come and now do away with revelation instead of doing the hard work of dancing with the Lord and wrestling with the tension. I mean, you saw all the things we went through last night, all the verses. It's pretty clear that they're there, right? You know how long it took the Lord to show me the path to where I could put that together? It took a lot of dancing. Now imagine I decided I don't want to dance. I just know that you're love, which is fine. And I want to just get rid of the book of Revelation. When it was written to fill the church in every generation with the hope of the gospel. But not me. I ain't the one. I'm not going to do that. Right? Let, let every man be a liar and let God be true. Amen. Right? And every human, every teacher, everyone should come to that place. Does that make any sense? All right, so we'll pick it up with Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. So, so, never heard that. Never heard what? The Revelation is written to fulfill the hope of the gospel. Yeah. Never. Yeah. I've never really wanted to read Revelations, honestly. Well, because we were taught to read it from a so corrupted view. If you wanted it to look at, supposed to be scary. If you want to look at the, if you want to look at um, Revelation, because it says the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm trying to lead the church into the place where they can discern these things for themselves. You can behold, really, the whole picture of the book of Revelation in the body of Jesus Christ. Right there, he is nailed to a cross. Doesn't say darkness was upon him. Well, isn't his body earthy in that place? And then what happens in the resurrection? The death that was in his body is what? Completely removed, never to be able to die again. What was Jesus' hope? What sustained him when he was nailed to the cross? The knowing that death would be completely removed, never to be seen again. That's what the book of Revelation is trying to teach us. The same thing we see that went down in the body of Jesus. Who brought death to Jesus? The serpent? It says they murdered the Lord of glory. It says, had they known he was the Lord of glory, they wouldn't have killed him. And who were the people that brought that death to him? The people Jesus said, you're of your father, the devil. Mm -hmm. You have looked to the devil for life, and thus his life has been born in you. And just as he was a murderer from the beginning, you now find murder born in you. And then they brought what to him? The plague that they had in them because they were merchants of Babylon. Mm -hmm. They had fornicated with Babylon in her wisdom. Which wisdom was, I will exalt myself by the multitude of the merchandise I can traffic in. That's what they were busy with. And so they brought the plague to Jesus. And you see the plague that's in Babylon manifest on the body of this man, Jesus. That's the same plague that manifests all throughout Revelation. And then what saved Jesus on that day from him trying to clothe himself? What filled him with peace and love and joy even as he was being nailed to the cross? The certainty that this death that came upon him that was produced by the serpent in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The certainty that it would be cleansed from his body never to be come back again and that his flesh would be glorified with immortality. That's the same thing the book of Revelation is talking about for this earth and for us. Amen. Amen. 
it's funny, you said, um, I never wanted to read the book of Revelation. And that's the way most people feel. And in the third verse of the third chapter, it says, blessed is he that readeth mm -hmm. and they that heareth the words of this prophecy. Yeah. <laughs> and that understand. Yeah. And that, that understand. The enemy wants to put a bad taste in your mouth by twisting it to make it look like something scary when it, it is meant for something that would bless us. Blaspheming the name of God. Yeah. And so the name of God has been blasphemed from a erroneous interpretation of it. And like humans do, we're like a pendulum. We yeah. swing. And so we see that was wrong. We don't come in and straighten it. We swing way over here, yeah. and we want to get rid of it yeah. or turn it into something it's not, right? Yeah. Instead of, no, 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 let's have this thing made straight. And there's a whole lot of that going on in the world today, right, with people thoughts. trying to come with some strange doctrines mm -hmm. concerning Revelation. So let's pick it up because I want to get through the mark of the beast, and I, I want to try not to have to rush too bad, but I don't want to remove this last part from yesterday. Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men. I don't want to stop right now, but I just want to give you guys hints. Notice how it talks about the great men and the mighty men? Mm -hmm. It also talked about the mighty men of renown in Genesis 6. That's right. Mm -hmm. They also talk about figs. Yeah, they also talk about figs. The spirit of prophecy is throughout all of the scripture, if you're paying attention. Right? and you're looking for it, and you're talking to God. Help me see, right? And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Hmm. Now, I, keep, I want to keep reminding us of this because you guys already forgot what we talked about last night. <laughs> and all the things we established last night, right? I no, I understand. I get it, right? But like I said, we all have a dictionary in our heart, and we've already decided what wrath means on our own without stopping and looking at the scriptures. And that's one way to look at it, but that's not the complete thing either because it, it leaves a lot to be desired with what it's talking about. Right? The wrath of God, the wrath of the Lamb. Notice how it says a lamb. What does the wrath of a lamb look like? You ever seen a wrath, a lamb full of wrath? You ever seen a, a lamb that's angry? It's no accident that it uses that language. It's trying to draw a contradiction in your heart. It's trying to leave you in the place where that doesn't make no sense to you based on your definition of wrath. That's how God draws you in. Because it doesn't make sense. And then you're like, Lord, it doesn't make sense. Here comes the foundation for a revelation. Right? Where you start at least considering, wait a second, maybe my understanding of the wrath of God is not exactly right. Maybe I'm judging the wrath of God like the wrath of a man. 
And we hit on this all last night about what the wrath of God is. But the wrath of God is just the judgment of Jesus, right? And that judgment is not condemnation. It's a decree. It's when he comes, he looks at the wisdom of the serpent. He sees the serpent has corrupted his wisdom. He sees the serpent has said, I will have life through my own strength. And he rejects that wisdom. He hides his face from that wisdom. And he says that wisdom cannot give life. That wisdom has a plague inside of it. Inside of that wisdom is death. That's the wrath of God. You get a great picture of the wrath of God, and I probably said it in the other meetings, when God told Adam not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why did he tell Adam not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? He saw that tree had the plague of death in it. He saw that tree would bring a plague of death onto Adam. He hid his face from it. He was rejecting it. He was judging against it. Remember, we talked about the seals being opened, and that was the testimony of Jesus Christ, judging against the wisdom of Babylon, the wisdom of this world. How do you judge against the wisdom of this world? You come and tell everybody that wisdom can't give you life. It can only give you death, right? It talks about the wrath of God being revealed from heaven in Romans 1. It doesn't say poured out from heaven. You notice how quickly we read that in there? All of you are like, it says the wrath of God was poured out from heaven. No, it doesn't. It says it was revealed. It says it was revealed. And then it says it was revealed against all unrighteousness of men. We immediately read our own definition into that, and we say that's bad behavior. That's not what it says there. Do you know what the unrighteousness of, of men is? Man worshiping the creation instead of the creator. It actually says that in Romans 1. Do you know what it means to worship the creation instead of the creator? It means for you to look at your own ability and say, this is some good ability. I'm going to use this ability to serve myself with life. Just like the serpent said to Jesus, use your ability if you're the son of God. Turn those stones into your food for life. Make your own strength the food that can give you life. The wrath of the Lamb is him rejecting that wisdom. It's him saying that Babylon has a plague in itself. Babylon looks good for food, doesn't it? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what did it say? It looks good for food. Looks like it can feed you with life. That's what it means. It, it says there's a way that seems right to man. But the end thereof is death. Well, why does it look right to us? Because it looks like there's life contained there. And it looks like if we can lay hold of the treasure that's in this world, if we can lay hold of the riches that this world can give us, all the good this world has, if we could just use our ability and grab a hold of it and gather it to ourselves, it looks like it could give us the peace and the love and the joy we long for. It looks like it can satisfy the lack we feel. Well, that belief produces the plague of death. It produces the plague of death. Right? And so the wrath of the Lamb is he shows you that what looks like life and godliness actually doesn't have life and godliness, it has death. So when it says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, Jesus is God. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We do a real, we do, it's convenient for our jacked up doctrines because we can't really preach that the Father forsook the Son if that's Jesus, if that's God on the cross. Right? I asked the people in Ireland because the guy in the house church was like, you've got to preach that the father didn't forsake the son in my house church. And I was like, listen, brother, I'm not sure you want me to say that because half the people will love you and half of them might hate you. 
And he was like, I don't care. That's what you're going to preach. And the whole time I'm like, Lord, I'm about to create a big split in these people's church and their family. Oh, my goodness. What am I going to do? And he told me, take out the clover because they love St. Patrick. And they esteem St. Patrick and they're into the Trinity. And so I pulled out the clover. And I said, it's God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Hallelujah. Amen. Can God be God without the Father? No. Can God be God without the Spirit? Let it never be said. Can God be God without the Son? Let anybody who say that be accursed, they said. I said, then how can we say that the Father and the Son were separated on the cross? Are we saying there's a time when God didn't exist? Can God be God without the Son? Then who was God during that time? And where was God and who was holding everything together? We don't think about what we believe. We just run with it because people taught us it, and it makes sense based on our sin-stained conscience. Yeah, we think God was angry with us and mad at us because of our sin, so we think it makes sense that he spanked Jesus. Really what we're teaching, when the, if we say the Father and the Son were separated, there wasn't any God during that time. Because there can't be a trinity if the Father and Son are separated. What we're teaching is that there's no Godhead. And I don't have to make too many connections for you to understand that is blasphemy. That is heresy to teach that there was ever a time when there wasn't God. Yeah, really? God was in Christ. That is blasphemy. Yes, it is. Blasphemy. <laughs> so Jesus is God on the cross. He's revealing to the world the thing you think is full of life. Babylon, that system that has gold and rubies and fine linens and, and cinnamons and spices and perfumes. The thing that you, looks good, that you think looks good for food. This is what it is. This is what it is. This is what it has to give you. This is the wage of Babylon. This is the fruit that comes forth from the treasure the world can give you. This body of death. He's revealing to us. And he's rejecting the idea that the creation can give themselves life by showing the creation what happens when it tries to give itself life. You guys following that? So this is Babylon saying, hide us from that decree. It's the people, we'll get into it. Yeah, you could say that. Absolutely. You guys understand that? Right? Do you guys think that God produces murder in people? Do you think that God produces murder in people? No. Well, if we think God's the one producing death, then he would also have to be the one producing murder in people. I mean, if we, is God the one that produces the fruit of the flesh? No. Well, in the context of Roman 1, it says that the wrath of God was revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness of men. And then right after that, it says those people are filled with the fruit of the flesh. That's a, the wrath of God abided on them. Well, if it's based on our context of what the wrath of God is, then what we're saying is God's the one that produced that fruit in them. What does it mean when the wrath of God abides on someone? 
judgment that Jesus brought is not now. Right. The decree, the decree that the creation cannot give itself life. And in the day the creation tries to give itself life, do you know what's going to come forth in the creation? Yeah. Death. Now, all those who try to give themselves life, that decree can be seen in them because in the day they try to give themselves life, what comes out of them? Murder and hatred and gossiping and backbiting and envying. Right? But the unrighteousness is God's decree or judgment against the idea we can give ourselves life. And it's God reasoning with us from a perspective of love. I love you. I don't want you to die. This way that you think is the way into life. It isn't the way into life. It's actually the way into death, and it's killing you. Babylon doesn't have life in itself to give. It has death to give, right? Yeah. And the moment he comes and says that, all those who are busy with Babylon, guess what's going to manifest? The plague. The plague of death. So that's the wrath of the Lamb, right? The wrath of the Lamb corresponds to the bowls of judgment and the seals being opened. They're all one and the same, right? Wrath can most easily be also associated with God's judgment, right? His decree, right? God is passionate for us to have life, as Beulah said. We're going to wrap up the whole definition of wrath. God's passionate for us to have life. In his passion for us to have life, he has hid his face from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He has issued a decree that we can't give ourselves life, right? That's his judgment. He has rejected the idea that we can give ourselves life. Because he's passionate about us not dying. He's passionate about us having life. Right? That's the wrath of the Lamb. It's his rejection of Babylon as the way unto life. Why did he make the tree of life in the tree of knowledge of the evil? Say what? Why did they Which one? Well, listen, I don't want to get off into a whole tangent, but I got a whole teaching you can listen to. If you read Genesis closely, it doesn't originally say that the tree was bad. That's right. They were good. In fact, it says all the trees were good. That's right. And then two verses later, it says that don't eat from that tree. Right. Right. Well, if you go and read in Ezekiel, it talks about a tree in the midst of the garden. That was the most beautiful tree in the garden. Talking about Satan. And then it says that that tree saw the beauty of its branches and rejected the river from where it got life and decided that it would be exalted by the multitude of the beauty of its branches. And it says it corrupted its wisdom, right? So originally the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was supposed to point Adam to the tree of life. You see this beautiful life? You see this fruit that I'm clothed with. The power under this fruit is that tree of life, right? Angels are ministering servants to humans. Satan was that, that anointed cherub. Yeah. He was supposed to be a ministering servant to Adam. Yeah. And he was supposed to point him to the tree of life. And he corrupted his wisdom. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes, he did. He corrupted his wisdom. And you can read it. It's subtle because you're just glossing right over. And you think there'd be a whole lot of detail right there. Mm-hmm. Well, there is if you go read Ezekiel. Right. And you're combining the entire spirit of prophecy. Mm-hmm. But that's why. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think it's 20, Ezekiel 28 and 31. Talks about a tree in the midst of the garden. The anointed cherub. I called you the anointed cherub. He says. And we're going to get to it, but what's interesting about that whole passage, do you know what word is used there? Merchandise. And do you know what other word is used there? Traffic. 
Yep. Buying and selling. Yep. Guess what's in Revelation 18 yeah. and 13? Merchants and buying and selling. So if you're trying to turn that into some modern thing about how you're not going to be able to go to the grocery store if you get a microchip or if you get some tattoo on the outside of your body, you're not understanding it. Because the serpent, the Satan, who founded the system of Babylon was the first merchant. And he was trafficking in his own strength. And he was using his ability to try to buy unto himself a life that could cause him to be exalted above man. And he founded Babylon. And he created a system with a bunch of merchants in his system doing the same thing. It's all in the scriptures. I mean, why does Ezekiel talk about trafficking in merchants and merchandise with Satan? If we're going to get to Revelation and now it's somehow about us buying and selling groceries. I'm sorry, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, we can laugh about it now because as you start to look at these things, you realize how foolish it sounds. Right? But we were steeped in this kind of stuff. We were steeped in it, not knowing the scriptures. What did Jesus say? You do greatly err not knowing the scriptures. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank God for his mercy and his loving kindness. Thank God that in the fullness of times, the spirit moves to lead the body of Christ out of confusion. Hallelujah. Revelation 16. And I'm going to read a bunch of these verses. And hopefully I'll remember why. <laughs> this is connecting to the wrath of the Lamb, right? Because we read the wrath of the Lamb and immediately we think it's the Lamb that's bringing the plague because that's what we think of wrath, right? We think the Lamb produced the plague instead of the Lamb declaring Babylon has a plague in it. Remember last night we read Revelation 18 and where did it say the plague was? In her. In Babylon, it said. Okay, so the wrath of the Lamb cannot be him bringing the plague because it said in Revelation 18, Babylon had the plague. Okay? And don't, don't, don't expect yourself to process all this in real time. We're recording these messages, and if you actually care about what's being said, you don't have to. Go back and listen to the message with your Bible, yeah. right? And yeah. talk to the Lord. Yeah. This is the kind of thing that's taken me my whole Christian life to understand. This isn't something I've been understanding perfectly, and this is just another time of me unleashing it on you guys. The Lord has been building this for years, and it took many building blocks, and I'm just unleashing it on you now. I haven't even unleashed this in my own church on people. I've talked in bits and pieces, right? I've never done this anywhere because I knew enough to know I need to know the Word made flesh first. Revelation 16.1. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. The wrath, his judgment, his decree. Release his decree in the earth that Babylon doesn't have life to give. Right? And the first went and poured out his bowl. Vial means bowl. Upon the earth. And there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast. The men that were the merchants in Babylon were now receiving the wage that Babylon had to pay because they were marked by the beast. Okay, we're going to get back into that. And upon them which worshipped his image. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man. And every living soul died in the sea. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, our Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast thus judged. Right? So saying God's righteous because he has come and issued a decree that Babylon does not have eternal life. So he doesn't just come and say Babylon doesn't have life to give. Babylon has a plague to give. But in him just saying Babylon does not have eternal life. Mm -hmm. 
Do you know what's coming about? Babylon is capitulating on itself. The demon that's there is coming out now. And why is it coming out? Because he's going to cast it out once for all time. Right? That's why the angels are outrighteous, oh Lord. You are coming now to yes. deliver your people from death. You are coming now to remove that which has been killing your creation. That's why he says that. For they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and thou hast given them the blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another. It says the whore of Babylon is drunk with what? The blood of the saints. The blood of the saints. What is she drunk with? Death. And he has given her the death she has in herself. This is what you wanted? Here, you can have it. You guys following that? And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments, decrees. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat. This is the part we're going to focus on, because we just talked about the wrath of the Lamb. And men were scorched with great heat. And this is your cue, because you have this line very good. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. Now, if you understand what it means to blaspheme the name of God in the context of the whole spirit of prophecy, the way you blaspheme the name of God is you blame him for the death. That's, yeah. That's what the serpent said to Eve. You don't have what you need for life because God isn't giving it to you. So the merchants of Babylon, when the plague starts manifesting, they see the plague, and they don't see that the plague came from Babylon. They blame God for the plague. What did Adam do after he ate from the tree and death came into the earth? Did he say, Lord, God, I sinned. My wife, the one I love, entered into darkness, and I was confused, and I didn't want her to die in the darkness alone, so I entered into the darkness with her when I should have called upon your name. But I didn't call upon your name. I knew I shouldn't have eaten from that tree. I knew I should have called upon your name, but I didn't. Did he say that? No. no. You know what he said? It's that woman you gave me. He blamed God for the death. That's what the carnal mind does because it's darkened by death. The carnal mind in the scriptures is a mind that beholds the death and views God through the death. And so they see the death and they judge God by the death they see. And what they say in their hearts is, you are not as you ought to be as father. Look at this death. They impute the sin and the death to God instead of seeing it's Babylon. They blaspheme the name of God. So it's just like we've been taught. We've all read Revelation blaspheming the name of God. We see the wrath of the lamb and we say it's God bringing the plague. But the scripture says Babylon's the one with the plague. And now we're imputing the death and the sin that manifests from Babylon onto God. And we're busy in the earth telling the unbelievers that. We're defiling the name of God. God talks in Ezekiel about, yeah, in Ezekiel about sanctifying his name. Why does God's name have to be sanctified? Because we were blaming God for the sin and death that was in the world. Just like these guys. You know how God sanctified his name? He showed up in the earth when we were blaming him for the death. And then he took our death into himself and then swallowed it up in the resurrection. He sanctified his name as not death giver, life giver. You guys think I'm the father of the death? Let me show you what I father. Right? And then the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the son of man. We're all sons of men. We're the children of men. And now we see God's not the giver of death. He's the giver of life. 
In fact, God rather die himself than let us die. Mm. He came into the earth, a body he prepared for himself. He put on perishable flesh so he could take the death that was tormenting him into ourself. And we didn't even like him when he did that. We were blaming him for all of our hurt. And we blamed him so much that even when he came, we nailed him to a cross. Mm. And even when we nailed him to a cross, he turned the other cheek. Even when we mocked him, he embraced us. Even when we cursed him, he blessed us. Even when we despised him and we used him, he prayed for us. Even when we stripped God naked, he went into the heaven and got us the cloak of his life. Yes. Amen. He sanctified his name. Well, I promise you this, his name is not sanctified in the midst of Babylon. And they are blaming him for the death that is coming upon them. Instead, and they repented not. From what? Their works. Which works are? The system of Babylon. So they repented not from Babylon. They never saw it was Babylon. It's not Babylon. Look how beautiful Babylon is. It's God. It's God. That's what it says. They repented not of their deeds. They still wanted to traffic in the merchandise of Babylon. They still wanted their treasure to be in earth. Remember when Jesus said, lay not up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust can corrupt? Yeah. You could have just as easily said, don't be merchants of Babylon. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Alright, I'm going to move on for that then so we could go forward. We'll keep looking at what served them with destruction. Okay? And to see it's not God. 2 Peter 2.4 2 Peter 2.4 For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto what? Judgment. judgment. What judgment? The wrath of the Lamb. These devils don't have life. These devils are full of a plague. These devils can't give you life. It says they're reserved for judgment in chains. All right, now we're going to jump to Revelation 9. Follow me quickly. We're going to go to Revelation 9 now. Remember, he says these angels are in chains to be reserved for the day of judgment. What are we talking about in Revelation right now? Judgment. What are we talking about right now? Judgment. He just said they were in chains. Reserved for judgment. Revelation 9, verse 12. One woe is past, and behold, there come two woes more hereafter. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. So the angels were chained, and now he says to loose them. Which one of God's angels do you think have to be held in chains? That's like you got a pit bull in the house and you got to reserve it in chains, and when do you let the pit bull out? So there's Peter saying that Satan's angels are reserved in chains. Now here's Revelation 9 talking about some angels being loosed. You can wrestle with that all you like. We'll keep reading. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month. Didn't it just say they were held in chains reserved for what? A day and an hour and a month judgment and now they're loosed look what it goes on to say and the number of the army of the what horsemen horses horsemen were two hundred thousand thousand and i heard the number of them 
And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them, having breastplates of fire, and jacinth, and brimstone. And the heads of the horses, if you notice, if you go read in Ezekiel, those are some of the same stones that they say that the cherub was clothed in. And the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. By these three was the third part of men killed by the fire, and by the smoke, and by the brimstone, which issued out of their mouths. The devil roams around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails were like unto serpents, and had heads. And with them they do hurt. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. Do you see what they're worshiping there? Works of creation. When you're worshiping something, that's what's giving you what's happening to you. They're not worshiping God. So what's happening to them is not by the hand of God. They're worshiping devils. And so what's happening to them is what the hand of the devil has to give. Let's keep looking at where the destruction that came upon them came from. This is Revelation 9. I just jumped to 12 to connect it to Peter. But here's Revelation 9.1 that comes right before those four being loosed. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit to him was given the key of the bottomless pit does that sound like where God keeps his angels the bottomless pit (laughs) I mean I'm saying these funnily but we've, we've just read through these things as if these things are the Lord himself you think the Lord is in the bottomless pit I'm going to jump to verse 11 so we could speed this up. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon. But in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. Do you know what Apollyon and Abaddon means? Destroyer. Destroyer. It means destroyer. I'm going to hit this a couple of times, but in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 9 and 10. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 9 and 10. This is one of the places where it talks about the destroyer. This is the Apostle Paul talking. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Serpents. Who's the serpent? Satan. What did Jesus say? The poison of asps was under our tongue. Right? That's talking about the devil. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. There's Paul calling the serpent the destroyer. There's Paul calling the devil the destroyer. What does it mean to tempt Christ? Yea, they tempted God and turned back the Holy One of Israel. What they kept doing to God was telling him that they didn't want the food that he was feeding them with life. They wanted the food they could gain through the strength of the flesh. They loathed the manna from heaven. 
They loathed the bread that God was feeding them. That's why Paul interprets it as tempting Christ, because Christ is that bread from heaven. And so they didn't want the bread that God was feeding them. They didn't want God to be their food for life or their provision for life. They wanted to go back to Egypt where at least they had meat. Meat means trusting in the strength of the flesh. The flesh will be the thing that can feed me with life. Egypt is the system of the serpent. And so then what comes and bites them? The serpent. Well, why does the serpent bite them? Because that's who they were worshiping. And Paul calls the serpent the destroyer. And then what did God tell Moses to do? Go and take that serpent and nail it to the pole. And everyone who sees the serpent nailed to the pole will be healed. Well, Jesus recounts that account and says, unless the Son of Man be lifted up. Well, do you know the scriptures talk about Jesus crushing the head of the serpent? Where? At the cross. You see the destroyer? You see the destroyer in Revelation? You see the destroyer there? Does that make any sense? All right, now I want to jump to Exodus. Because we talked about this last night, and I want to hit on one of these accounts. And I'm going to read this in a way that puts the wrong belief in our heads. Because it's going to be easy for us to do that. But we had this example. Then we're going to straighten it out. We don't need that. Well, then we're going to straighten it out so we can see how easy it happened. But the dichotomy I want to draw is because of what Rob said. Where we can seemingly read something in the scriptures that looks really clear. That's what it says. And then find that that's not what it says at all, actually. Right? And that happens everywhere. I want to connect that to what Peter said. He said we have a more sure word of prophecy. And he, he talked about when Jesus was glorified on the Mount of Transfiguration. He said we, the prophecy we used to have was the law and the prophets. We used to go back and just read the Old Testament scriptures and draw our judgments from that. But we have a more sure word of prophecy now in the Lord Jesus when the Father of Light spoke from heaven, when we had Moses and Elijah standing there, and he said, Hear ye him, this is my son. Now, the only reason you would say it's a more sure word of prophecy is if the first word of prophecy wasn't exactly sure. <laughs> that doesn't mean it wasn't written by the hand of God. What it means is, is that it was in a shadow. Just like Paul said over and over, the mystery that was hid from the ages has now been revealed in Christ. Right? And so we have a more sure word of prophecy. What that means is, is there was a shadow back there. It was shadowed. We couldn't make out the details clearly. We saw some things. We saw the Christ. But there's things written there that we could never quite understand, right, with the natural mind. Because how can a man understand the things of God, save the Spirit of God, dwell in them, and the Spirit of God come in immortal flesh, right? But now we see clearly God. And we see clearly the prophetic picture. Okay? So this, we're going to jump to the account in Exodus with the plagues because the destroyer is mentioned there too. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this, this night. Where are you? Exodus 12, 12, sorry. I'm running behind and we keep going. I'm never going to get to the mark of the beast. <laughs> or, I'm going to get, or I'm going to get to it and I only have like 10 minutes and I want like a whole hour. We'll you can have a whole hour. I want a whole hour to really unpack okay. that. You can have what you need. <laughs> you can have what you like. That's right. <laughs> I've been praying to God for a people that can withstand many hours of preaching. Because if I had it my way, I probably would preach like three hours every time. Because I just can't stop. I just can't get enough. 
I just can't get enough. Exodus 12, 12. Now read how bad this sounds. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. What does that sound like? Doesn't sound good, does it? I mean, it sounds like God's the father of death. Let's just be honest. That's what it sounds like, okay? And against, but he, he, quali- he the, the next statement is him describing what that means. And against all the gods of Egypt will I execute judgment. Notice how he says he's going to judge the gods of Egypt, right? Well, how do you judge the gods of Egypt? We just spent the last two days explaining what judgment is. What that means is he's going to issue a decree against the gods of Egypt, against the gods they were worshiping. What he was going to say is the wages those gods you're worshiping have to pay you with is death. That's how God smites. Notice it says Jesus comes on a white horse with the sword in his mouth. He speaks. He doesn't smite with the physical sword like we think of. The way he smites is he speaks a word. The sword of the spirit. That's how he speaks. It says the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, capable even of dividing asunder that which is carnal from that which is spiritual. That's what it's saying that God did there. He was going to speak a word and it was going to divide asunder very clearly that God's the only one that can give life and that these gods you're worshiping can only give you death. That's what it means. Okay? Now listen, watch. Watch this. We're going to jump down to verse 22 to save time. Verse 22. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin. That's from the lamb that they sacrificed. You know, Jesus is the lamb, right? And strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians... Again, sounds like God's doing the smiting, doesn't it? And when he sees the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. There's that word destroyer again. Who's the destroyer? The devil. Right. And notice what God says. I will come and sup with you in your house. And I will not allow the destroyer to smite you. That sounds like a contradiction. So, the blood of the lamb. What does the blood of the lamb do? It causes the destroyer to pass over you. It causes you to overcome the destroyer. The blood of the lamb causes you to overcome the destroyer. Okay? The blood they put there in the Exodus... They overcame the destroyer. I'm saying that over and over because I'm trying to trigger in your heart, guys, in your heart, a verse in Revelation 12. Revelation 12, 11, what does it say there? It says they overcame the dragon, the devil, the accuser of the brethren. By what? The blood of the lamb. And the word of their testimony. So there's the people in Egypt and the Destroyer, They overcame the destroyer by the blood of the Lamb. Where here's Revelation describing us overcoming the destroyer by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. Hallelujah. There's tension. There's dancing. God wants to dance. It's no fun if you could just read it with your carnal mind and get it right. It's no fun for him. And I promise you, you might think it's fun for you because I used to think that. I just want to read it with my eyes and see it. And I didn't understand it, but Greg, what you're saying is is that you don't want to hang out with me. What you're saying is you don't want to need me to understand. 
You don't want to talk to me. You don't want to dance with me. You don't want to engage with me. You want to do it by yourself. Oh. <laughs> You're right, Lord. That is what I'm saying. And he said, you feel upset because you can't just read it and get it. He said, I understand why you feel that way. He said, but because I'm on the other side of what you feel and what you think, I'm here to tell you you're going to enjoy it much more with the dance. Right. <laughs> you're eliminating the most beautiful part. You see, and the gift God gave me was to understand. That's the gift I have. So I have a desire to understand. But my desire and my gift was working against me. Right? And then he came and explained it to me. And now I love the dance. Right? I would have never understood any of this if I would have kept going by myself in my head. You can't do what we're doing here. Save the Spirit of God. And I don't just mean in me, in all of you. All of you yeah. bring something here that is producing the word that is coming out tonight. Every single one of you have a part in what's happening here tonight. I wouldn't say it this way if you weren't here. So the Spirit is here and it is working to produce a word. Right? That's what, I was trying to t what I'm trying to tell you. If you're not here, it's not the same. Sometimes we can get confused and we think that preaching is a spectator sport. And we're just engaging with our intellect. But the spirit is being released. And if you're not here, the same word ain't coming forth. And I'm not trying to put you under some yoke to go to church. I tell my people they don't have to go to church. But they need to know there's a treasure in them. The spirit is in them. And the word that will be preached will not be the same if they're not there. You're part of it. Yeah. Because you're playing a role. And there's things that you need in your heart that the Spirit knows. That the Spirit won't bring out of me if you're not sitting there. In the same way with Rick. There's things he's going to see in the Spirit that he doesn't even know. That's just going to bring stuff out of him that won't happen if you're not here. That's right. And again, I'm not trying to put you under some heavy yoke. I'm talking about how the body works. Yeah. It says that we come under the head which is Christ and that we receive nutrients from the head that is Christ, but that each joint supplies one another yeah. from the nutrients they receive. Yeah. Well, you're a joint. You're part of the body. And if you're not here, you're not recognizing there's a treasure in you. And if you feel like you're not connected or you're not engaged, it's not a sign to retract. It's a sign to draw further in and start talking with God about where's my, what joint am I? Right? How? I see that there's a gift in me that will bless this body. What does that look like, Lord? And then you get your pastors and the people that you're friends with in the church praying about it and coming together and developing the body. Right? Does that make any sense? You guys see that thing in Exodus? Yeah. It sounded horrible, didn't it? And then by the end, it was real clear, wasn't it? <laughs> that's what he's talking about, and that's what I learned. You can read things in the Old Testament and in the scriptures with your natural mind that sound real bad. But the God we are worshiping is the Lord Jesus Christ. And what that means is, is we're worshiping what we see in the body of Jesus, in Jesus walking this earth. We're worshiping the God we saw Jesus reveal. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We're not worshiping our intellectual understanding of the Old Testament scriptures. Right? So we're not going to look at some of the things in the Old Testament scriptures that don't sound real nice and try and paint a picture about God. Because Jesus is the master artiste. Amen. And he came and painted a picture yeah. of God. Yeah. 
And that's the only picture that we're living by or worshiping by, even if we can't understand all the the scriptures in the Old Testament. Right? Right? Because the Old Testament was a shadow. And you know what it will paint? A caricature. You guys know what a caricature is? It has a resemblance, but it's not exactly right. right. Uh It's a little jacked up. Jesus is the true revelation of all scripture. That's right. It makes everything new too when you read the old. It makes it new now. Do you guys follow that? Does that make any sense? Okay. I guess that stuff was necessary. I feel like I need to stay another week to keep doing this. Yes. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna try and pick up the mark of the beast now. Okay. We don't have a lot. Of, I don't know how much time. I don't know how much y'all can withstand. But. Oh, yeah. Okay. Flowers. <laughs> Do it. Flowers. How much can you talk? <laughs> well, there's no stopping me. But I am going to try to not go on. Well, no, it's the spirit. I'm going to try and stay focused. But it's like the spirit wants to go on these rabbit, you know. All right. We're, we're, we're going to start in Revelation 13. Okay. And we're going to pick it up with verse 11. This is the mark of the beast we're talking about. Thirteen eleven. Okay. Revelation thirteen eleven. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exercised all the power of the first beast before him, and caused the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders, so that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men and deceives them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Right? I don't know if you guys remember, but Nebuchadnezzar, he became a beast. I'm just going to throw that real quick in here. In the Old Testament, he became a beast. You remember where he made a statue of himself and demanded that everybody worship the statue? And if anybody didn't worship the statue, they were going to be put to death? Okay, you want to keep that in your mind when you're reading that. Okay? Because that's the same kind of thing that it's talking about. And Nebuchadnezzar is the shadow. Is one of the shadows in the Old Testament pertaining to that. Right? And he... And he caused all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save him that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred, three score and six. If you go and read the statue that Nebuchadnezzar built and erected, the, the, the dimensions factor out to sixes. The dimensions factor out to sixes. Man was created on what day? Six. Six. The sixth day. So when it talks about the number of a man, what it's talking about is a man who worships his own hands, his own strength, the works of his own hands, just like the serpent. Nebuchadnezzar was worshiping his own strength that's why he erected a statue of himself. Right. And he demanded that everybody else also come and worship it. Okay? So I just wanted to throw that in there. So Revelation 13 says, In order to buy or sell, a person must have the mark of the beast, 
they must be marked with the name of the beast or the number of his name. Okay? Back to the definition of our hearts. I'm going to keep beating this into you guys' head because it will help you study the scriptures. You guys have already decided what buying and selling is. You're not like, what's buying and selling? Mm. I've never heard of such a thing. (laughs) Someone please explain it to me. So you understand you come to the scripture with your own understanding already. But what does Proverbs say? Lean not unto your own understanding. Okay, well, I promise you, everybody that reads about the buying and selling, they are leaning unto their own understanding. Right, so we read about the buying and selling, and we're thinking of our marketplaces. We're thinking of, like, Winn-Dixie, or Rouse's, or King Supers, or Dillard's, or Best Buy, right? And immediately we're thinking, I'm not going to be able to buy a TV. I can go without food, but can I get a TV? i got to get this, this mark to buy a TV or a car. Oh, my goodness. Or, or even worse, right, with the COVID, we won't be able to buy toilet paper. Oh, my goodness. That's, that's why those dudes are hiding in the cave, wanting to die, it says. They couldn't buy toilet paper anymore. Oh, my goodness. I'm making fun of this, but this is what we think. Now, there is some, some reference to a kind of marketplace in these verses, but not the kind of marketplace that, that we're talking about. It's the kind, of, the kind of marketplace that it's talking about here with the buying and selling is the marketplace where you would buy life. Where you would buy life. Where you would buy peace. Where you would buy love. Where you would buy joy. Where you would buy honor. Respect. Acceptance. Dignity. That's the kind of marketplace it's talking about. What did Jesus say? You seek honor from man. And you don't receive the honor that comes from God alone. The Pharisees were engaged in a marketplace. And they desired honor and they wanted to buy honor. Right? They were trafficking in honor. And the honor they were trafficking in was the kind of honor that comes from the world. They were merchants in the world. They were merchants of Babylon. They were trying to trade in order to heap upon themselves honor. You guys following that? Yeah. Yeah. Now, we're not left to our own understanding of what buying and selling is. Because the phrase buying and selling isn't brought up out of nowhere. And this is what we do. I say this all the time, and I'm sorry to say it. I'm going to say it again. You don't get to decide what buying and selling is. You don't get to decide. Because the text will tell us exactly what I'm talking about. I don't get to decide what it is. I'm going to take you to a verse and read it. Because the book of Revelation establishes the context itself. Okay? So let's see what the book says itself. Revelation 3, verse 18. Revelation 3, verse 18. I counsel thee to... This is Jesus talking. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thy eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. Now what is Jesus talking about buying there? Gold that's been tried in the fire. Do you guys think that's real gold? No. no. It's a treasure though, isn't it? Yeah. It's a treasure that he's talking about buying there. Mm-hmm. What is the buying Jesus is talking about there? Is he talking about buying groceries? Is he talking about going to the bank? 
I mean, he is talking about a marketplace, but what kind of marketplace is he talking about when he says, buy gold of me? And he says, don't buy it from somewhere else. Don't buy it from somewhere else. Get it from me because my gold has been tried in the fire and it's pure. And it will anoint your eyes with eye salve to where you'll be clothed in white raiment and that your nakedness won't be uncovered. Like who? Adam. The book of Revelation talks over and over about their nakedness being uncovered. The merchants of Babylon, those who are busy with Babylon, their nakedness is uncovered. You think you can buy clothing? In the Gospel of Matthew, I think, didn't God provide the clothing? Mm-hmm. What about the guys that tried to come in with their own clothing? They kicked him out, ushered him out. <laughs> So Jesus is drawing a contrast between buying of him and the buying and selling in Revelation 13. He's drawing a contrast. That's further explained in Revelation 18. Let's just go to Revelation 18 now and read Revelation 18 because it talks about merchants in Revelation 18 and it talks about buying and selling and it talks about a gold and a silver in Revelation 18 and it talks about Babylon also having a treasure, also having gold and silver that you can buy. And after these things, this is Revelation 18, verse 1. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power. And the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon, the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are wax rich through the abundance of her delicacies. What does a merchant do? Buy and sell. Buy and sell. A merchant buys and sells. So here's talking about merchants in Babylon. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Let's see. I'm going to, okay. I'm going to jump down to verse 11, because we're going to come back to this another time, but I just want to focus on the buying and selling now. We'll jump down to verse 11. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. So what is it that you think Babylon's selling? Do you think it's selling groceries? What about the bank? Is it the bank? Is it your bank teller? Is it TVs? What is Babylon selling? Because it says right there, buying and selling. Babylon is selling death, but is Babylon telling you that it's death? No. Nope. It's a counterfeit. It's trying, it's promising you life. What did the tree of the knowledge of good and evil promise? Life. It promised to make us fruitful. It promised to clothe us in the fruit of God's life. Jesus, who saw the fig tree from afar off when the fig leaves were green. What did the fig leaves being green mean? Do you know when a fig leaf has a fig tree has green leaves? Do you know what it's promising you? It's the time of fruit. And so it's promising to make you fruitful. It's promising to serve you with the fruit of life. And the fig tree, what did Adam clothe himself with? Figs. What's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil used to be depicted as in the, in the scriptures? A fig tree. 
And what did it promise Adam? It promised him fruit. It promised him life. If he would just buy and sell inside of that system, if he would buy, buy of me gold. That's what the serpent was saying. Buy of me gold. And so Babylon is busy promising people fruit, mm -hmm. promising people a treasure, the treasure that is unto life. And it's kind to convince people to engage or traffic in that system. That's right. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. You know when you're going to become real sad? It's like the emperor's clothes. Mm -hmm. When you're busy clothing yourself with clothes that aren't clothes at all, Adam tried to clothe himself with what fig leaves he was buying the merchandise from babylon and he bought the merchandise from babylon because he enlisted his own ability which is the tender there's a currency in babylon just like there's a currency in the kingdom of god in the currency in the kingdom of god how do you buy gold from jesus you don't buy gold with money. You don't buy gold with your own strength. You don't buy gold with your own works. Isaiah 55 says, come and buy of me milk and gold. And that you don't use any money to get it. Because it's a gift. And so the currency in the kingdom of God, the currency in the marketplace of God, a marketplace that God has developed to serve people with life, to serve them with the treasure, the currency that you use there is the faith of the Son of God. That's right. And that faith is not of yourselves. It's a gift from God. And that gift will give you the treasure of life. But Babylon is trafficking in life too. It has a marketplace and it's promising you the fruit of life. And the currency in Babylon is the strength of your own hand. And that's the currency Adam put to work after he ate from the tree and his nakedness was uncovered. He didn't buy gold from Jesus. He wasn't clothed in a white robe. His eyes weren't anointed with eye salve so that he wouldn't see his nakedness. But he saw his nakedness and he began trafficking in the system of Babylon. And he began buying and selling in Babylon. He tried to buy clothing, the fruit of God's life, from Babylon. He enlisted the currency of Babylon, the works of his own hands. He grabbed fig leaves and tried to clothe himself. And what did happen? He still was naked these merchants of babylon are weeping now because babylon the great has fallen what does that mean this babylon that was promising us fruit this babylon that promised it could clothe us this babylon that gave us gold and silver and 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 perfumes and spices it's been revealed that those things cannot clothe us Amen. and now they're mourning and weeping They're wailing because no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. The merchandise of gold and silver. Notice that's not groceries. Yeah. The merchandise of gold and silver. How many of you are worried about not being able to buy gold and silver? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, don't get a microchip. You might not be able to buy gold or silver or precious stones. Mm. <laughs> and of pearls and of fine linen. You know what you won't read in there? Groceries. Mm. You won't read that you won't be able to buy toilet paper. It's amazing the things we read into the text because of our own imaginations, right? Mm -hmm. Our fine linen, our purple and silk and scarlet, our thining wood, or all manner of vessels of ivory, and all manner of vessels of most precious wood, and of brass, and of iron, and of marble, and of cinnamon, and odors, and ointments, and frankincense, and wine, and oil, and fine flour, and wheat, and beasts, and sheep, and horses, and chariots, and slaves, and souls of men. Souls of men. You think that's got something to do with the grocery store? Mm -hmm. Let that fear be far removed from you. You have bought of Jesus gold that's been tried and pure in the fire. 
And the fruits that thy soul lusted after are departed from thee. And all things which are daintily and goodly are departed from thee. And thou shalt find them no more at all. Your nakedness is uncovered. Because you did not receive from Jesus the free gift of eternal life. You tried to buy life from Babylon by using the currency of Babylon, which is the strength of the flesh, which is the works of your own hands, which is the same thing the serpent did. He saw the beauty he was clothed in. He saw the river from where he got life. He rejected the river and said, by the multitude of the merchandise I traffic in, I will be exalted. That's what it says in Ezekiel. Sounds like what it's saying here, doesn't it? He founded that marketplace. The serpent founded that marketplace. And then he tries to get merchants to be a part of his marketplace. Right? Jesus preaches the gospel. I mean, why do we preach the gospel? So people will do what? Believe. Believe, but based on revelation, what is that? Buying gold from Jesus. There's a marketplace of life. When we preach the gospel, we're telling people there's a marketplace where God is selling life. But the life he's selling, you can't buy. You can only get it as a free gift. And this life he's selling is precious and pure. It's been tried in the fire. Listen, this life has been put on display and all the death in the world came upon it. And this life still stood up clothed. So this life you can buy from God that you yeah. can't buy with your own works, that you yeah. can't buy with any money, that you can only receive as a free gift, it will anoint your eyes with eye salve and your nakedness will never be uncovered. Amen. Amen. It's interesting that it's, uh, just looking up, looking up real quick, Revelations 3.18 talks about, I counsel you to buy from me gold, gold refined in the fire that you may be rich in white garments that you may be clothed. I look at uh, Proverbs in 3.18. It talks about a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her. And he's talking about the wisdom That's of right. the Lord. Yeah. Right. So you look at Proverbs 3, Revelation 3.18, Proverbs 3.18. Yeah. But even it talks about in Proverbs 3, or 3.13, happy is the man that finds wisdom and the man that gains understanding for the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver and gain thereof than fine gold. He talks about the merchandise. And the, so it's really talking about the wisdom. What are you shopping for? What are you right. looking for? Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, where are you looking for life? So. Are you, you guys following? You want to keep going? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Come on. Oh, yeah. Very good. We're going to get to the mark. So you can either buy of Jesus or you can do the buying and selling that comes with being marked by the beast. Because you can't buy and sell in, in Babylon unless you're marked by the beast. So you can either buy and sell with Jesus or you can buy do the buying and selling that comes with being marked by the beast. Right? So it's not about whether or not you're able to buy or not buy. It, it's not like if I'm not marked by the beast, I can't buy. Right? No, you can buy gold of Jesus if you're not marked by the beast. So it's not this fear that I can't buy. Right? It's just that you ain't buying what Babylon's selling. And I, you don't want to buy that anyway. Did you hear what it, did you hear what it said there? I mean, the only thing being marked by the beast does is make you buy, able to buy in Babylon. 
Yeah. We're so worried about not being able to buy stuff if we don't get marked by the beast. The only thing you can buy if you're marked by the beast is the life Babylon selling. So don't be afraid that you won't be able to buy and sell. Rather rejoice, rejoice. that you won't be able to buy and sell. Amen. Hallelujah. That's right. I mean, Jesus said, buy gold of me. Yeah. Yeah. I promise you, you don't need to be marked by the beast to buy gold of Jesus. So you're still buying. And I promise you, the treasure Jesus has to give you is way better than what you could buy from Babylon. So it's about buying from Jesus or buying gold that's of this world. Right? It isn't groceries or computers. Right? Jesus says in Matthew 6, lay not up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust does corrupt. And thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust does not corrupt. Don't be a merchant of Babylon. You know what those Pharisees were? Merchants of Babylon. Jesus said you were of your father, the devil. So what were they trafficking in? The same thing that the serpent was trafficking in that is described in, Re in Ezekiel 28 and Ezekiel 32. They were buying and selling the riches of the world. They were enlisting their own strength, the currency of Babylon, to gather the riches of the world to themselves, thinking those riches would exalt them unto life. Their treasure was the world. That was their treasure. Right? I'm trying to connect a bunch of these things because it uses specific language in Revelation but it's peppered throughout all the scriptures. The same thing, right. right? Jesus could have just as easily said, don't be a merchant of Babylon, buy of me gold, right? He talks about your eye being single, right? Meaning what? Your treasure is God in his life. Yeah. You're buying of gold, mm -hmm. you're buying gold from God by faith, you're receiving his eternal life, right? He says if your eye isn't single, meaning if your treasure is in the world, then how great will the darkness be that animates you? That's the treasure Babylon has to give. Let's see. I think I covered a bunch of this quickly. Jesus says that the gold you buy from him will make you rich. James says in his letter, the poor of this world are what? Made rich by what? Faith. Faith. Babylon says you're made rich by the multitude of the merchandise you can gather to yourself by your own strength. Babylon says, use your ability. Turn those stones into bread. Feed yourself with your own works. Look at all the beautiful things in the world. Gather them to yourself. That's how you'll have peace. That's how you'll have love. That's how you'll have joy. That's what it said. <laughs> Let's see. I'm going to try and jump now. We talked about Babylon. We already talked about Babylon and uh, not, not being a physical nation, so I'm going to skip over that. You guys bear with me because my notes are just a mess, and I want to try not to double cover things um, that we already covered. We, we talked about Revelation 18 and how the mighty men were the same as the mighty men of renown in Genesis 6. I just have to say this because there's a lot of confusion coming about this also. 
the, the giants in the earth, the mighty men of renown, is not talking about half-breeds of angels and men. Okay. That's not what it's talking about. A seed reproduces after its own kind. An angel cannot reproduce with a human. Neither can angels reproduce with themselves. There is no scripture that says that they can reproduce. So when it talks about the giants in the earth, it goes on to say the mighty men of renown. When you look up that word giant, it's Nephilim. And do you know what that means? Earthborn. It means that you're deriving the source of your life from the earth, from the dust, from the world. It means you're working your dust body to try to produce life. Right? And if you read in Genesis chapter 4, it talks about the daughters of men. Do you know who it mentions? Cain. And you know what it says about Cain? He made the first city. He was a mighty man of renown. What's renown mean? Renown means uh, the world honors you as great. The world celebrates you because you're strong according to the flesh. You're wise according to the flesh. You're noble according to the flesh. What was Jesus? Was he strong according to the flesh? No. Was he noble according to the flesh? No. Did he look wise according to the flesh? No. He ended up nailed to a tree. <laughs> they were mighty men of renown. They were Cain. The merchants of Babylon have been from the beginning. Cain was a merchant of Babylon. He was buying and selling in the world system, and the world honored him. He bought honor from the world. The world talked about Cain that built the first city. The world, look what Nimrod can do. Look, he put his arm, to his flesh to work, and look at the tower he built. They had honor from the world. They heaped upon themselves honor from the world. Noah didn't have any honor from the world, did he? No. No. Do you know why? He couldn't buy and sell in Babylon. Do you know why? He wasn't marked with the beast. The world didn't honor Noah. They made fun of him. They mocked him. What did the world do with Jesus? They mocked Jesus. Jesus wasn't a merchant of Babylon. He couldn't buy and sell in that system either. Did you see him have honor? No. The only way you can get honor from Babylon is by enlisting the strength of your flesh. Jesus lifted not one finger to clothe himself when he was nailed to the cross. He didn't look for honor for men. When they came to make Jesus king, they came to give him honor. They saw him performing miracles, and they came to make Jesus king. They were trying to tempt him to engage in the system of Babylon. And what did Jesus say? Jesus, seeing what was in their heart, and they wanted to make him king, retracted from them. <laughs> no, no, no. The kingship I have, the nobility that's coming to me, is not of Babylon. It's not of this world. Right? Okay. And he caused, we'll jump to the Mark of the Beast. If you want to go read Ezekiel, Ezekiel 28 is where it uses the king of, of Tyrus to talk about Satan. I'll just read a couple of the verses. Ezekiel 28, 13. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. It's talking about... The garden of God. You've been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. Remember those verses of Revelation? I talked about the precious stones. The sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, the gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee. In the day thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. And I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in all thy ways from the days thou wast created till iniquity was found in you. See how it talks about the tree was perfect? And then there was a day iniquity was found? That's what I was telling you. 
Then it goes on to talk about the merchandise. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence. And thou hast sinned. Thy heart was lifted up because of thy beauty, and thou hast corrupted thy wisdom. You looked at your beauty and you said, it will be by this beauty that I will be exalted unto life. That's when he created the system of Babylon. Right? Okay, Revelation 13, verse 16. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. What that means is, in their forehead or in their hand. Either or. It's meaning the same thing. It could even be both. Okay? Now, back in that day when they talked about receiving the mark, the purpose of getting a mark back then was to symbolize who your master was. It was like a sign who your master was or whose servants you were. That was what it was a sign of, right? And in those times, it was written, if you were a servant of someone, you would get a mark so it would be known that's your master and you're their servant. So the, essentially, the mark was declaring whose you were or who you belonged to. That's what the mark declared, okay? Now, I skipped over the verses because we always already read them. But if you read before all that, it talked about the beast receiving power from the serpent or the devil. The beast represented the devil, right? So what kind of a mark would declare that you are, you're of your father, the devil? Because the mark would declare that you're the servant of someone. The beast represented the devil. So to be marked by the beast would be to receive a mark that would declare that you're of your father, the devil. That your life has been born from the devil. So what kind of a mark would declare that you're of your father, the devil? Is it an outward mark that declares that you're of your father, the devil? An uncircumcised heart. That's right. Really? An uncircumcised heart. Now, you could say it a bunch of different ways, but that's exactly right. An uncircumcised heart. What, what was found in Satan? I just read it. Iniquity was found in your heart. You corrupted your wisdom. You said, by the multitude of the merchandise I will traffic in, I will exalt myself unto life. By the beauty of my own branches, forget that river that clothed me in this beauty. Reject that river. I'm going to exalt myself by my own ability. So what mark would declare that you're of your father the devil? For you to have that same wisdom or that same belief in your heart. An uncircumcised heart. So is it a physical mark in the flesh that declares you're of your father the devil? When Jesus said to the Pharisees, you're of your father the devil. Did he see a physical mark in their head? What about it? Did he see a physical mark in their hand? He saw into their heart. He saw into their heart. And he saw that they had the same wisdom as the devil. He said, you're not, you're not the seed of Abraham. If you were the seed of Abraham, you would do the work of Abraham. Well, what was the work of Abraham? He believed in his heart that God would provide himself a lamb and that God will raise the dead. Yeah. God will conquer the death in our flesh. That's in the heart he believed. Abraham was marked. He was marked by what? The faith. And Jesus saw the Pharisees had not done the work in their heart that Abraham did. They weren't marked by the faith. They didn't buy gold from Jesus, right? They had the serpent's wisdom in their heart. They were trying to be exalted by, unto life through the strength of their flesh. They were trying to gather the riches of the world to themselves. That's what they were trying to do. 
Well, we're, we're the servants of God. Yes. <laughs> well, Hallelujah. do you see a physical mark on us? No. We got the halo. We got the seal of the Holy Spirit. It's real funny because Revelation 7 and 9 talk about the servants of God being marked in their foreheads. Doesn't Paul talk about us being sealed by the Holy Spirit? Well, is that a physical thing you see outwardly? It's not a mark. It's in the heart, isn't it? Buy of me gold. You see how it's not a physical mark in the flesh? It's talking about you taking on the mark of the beast. Do you know what it said the beast does? Go and re- I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm sorry to put all these verses together in their context and destroy all of our doctrines. <laughs> Do you know what it says about the beast? When it comes, the beast is likened unto a prophet. And it comes speaking great blasphemies. Do you know what it means to speak great blasphemies? It means that you're a liar. And to be a liar means you're lying against the truth. And so what it means is you come speaking a word against the spirit of grace. You come blaspheming the word of God. And you come and say that God has lied to you. That you don't need God to have life. God's not the only immortal. He's not the father that you need. You can be the father of your own life. You can enlist your own strength to give yourself life. That's what the beast came declaring. So to be marked by that beast is to take his word into your heart. I'm not smart enough to know this stuff. <laughs> Is it also to, again, blame God? Yeah, right. You will most certainly death. blame God. For, for destruction. Yeah, for death. For death. That's coming upon the world. The prophet that blames God. That's the same thing as saying God isn't the father you need. Mm-hmm. Right? That death that manifests in the earth, the serpent is going to be declaring God isn't as he ought to be his father. The serpent's the one bringing forth the death, and then he's telling all the people, see, God's not the one. He's not as he ought to be his father. Use your own ability. Father your own life. That's the message of the beast. He's as a prophet. That's the message Nebuchadnezzar was preaching, who became a beast. His message was, worship the strength of a man. The six, the number of a man. Worship the works of man's hands. That was the message of Nebuchadnezzar, who became a beast. He was marked by the beast because he spoke great blasphemies against God. And the blasphemy he spoke against God was he rebuked the spirit of grace and said, by my own strength, I'll be exalted. I'm God. That's what he said. I'm God. Revelation 18 talks about fornicating with Babylon. It says the merchants of Babylon are the ones that have been marked by the beast. And then it describes that as fornication with Babylon. What's fornication with Babylon? What's fornication with Babylon? Because that's what it means to be marked by the beast. That's what it clearly says in Revelation 18. <coughs> Those who are marked with the beast fornicated with Babylon. Daniel 5. Daniel 5. And I'm going to paraphrase, but you can go because there's too many verses. You have to read so much. Mm-hmm. Daniel 5 says... The king of Babylon, Belshazzar. What verse? One. I, I, I'm just going to paraphrase because there's too many verses. Okay. Just write down Daniel 5. Uh-huh. says, The king of Babylon, Belshazzar, worshipped the gods of silver and gold. That's the gold and the silver in Babylon, isn't it? Mm-hmm. 
He looked to that silver and gold and worshipped it, looked to it for light. That's Babylon. It says right He looked to the gold he gathered by his hand, and he said, By this gold I have gathered my own life. I have gathered by my own hand my life. What was his treasure? Belshazzar. What did he look to for life? He looked to the strength that was in the world and the strength of his hand. If you go into Daniel 4, Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, he was also the king of Babylon. Belshazzar was his son, I think. Grandson. Grandson. Thank you, Beulah. You know, I, I, could, I could do good work with Beulah and, and Brother Rick out on the road. They can really like help me out with the details. Right? This, 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 listen to what Nebuchadnezzar says. Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? Have I not built myself a beautiful life by my own strength? That's, that's Babylon. That's the message of Babylon. So what does it mean to fornicate with Babylon? It means to be intimate with that wisdom. That's what it means to be marked by the beast because Nebuchadnezzar is the guy who became a beast. Go and read about it. He became a beast. Are you guys following that? Can you become one with the beast? One with the beast? Because that's what it makes me think of when you're talking about fornication with the beast. It makes me think of... Absolutely. You become one with whatever life and wisdom you believe with. Like, we're one body with the Lord Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right? We have yep. intimate... Our intimacy is with God. Yep. The Spirit of the living God. Our intimacy is with the faith that was made flesh in Jesus. That faith is in our hearts. Right? That's what we're having intimacy with. That's why we're bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Right? But if you're busy with Babylon, you're fornicating with Babylon, you're being intimate with the wisdom of the serpent. Right? And through being intimate with the wisdom of the serpent, guess what type of children you're bearing? You're bearing in the fruit of God's life, but you're bearing the fruit of death. Hatred, envy, gossiping, backbiting, murdering. Right? That's why the Old Testament scriptures talk all the time about committing adultery on God. Well, you can't have physical relations with God like we think of physical relations, right? I'm not having physical relations with God like I do with my wife. And I'm also not having physical relations with the serpent like I do with my wife. But it says in the Old Testament they committed adultery on God. It says they went a-whoring after other gods. That's fornication. They fornicated with Babylon. How do you fornicate with Babylon? You look to the strength of your own hand and you say, is it not by the strength of my own hand that I will gather peace and love and joy to myself? Is it not by the strength of my own hand that I will build myself a house, that I will build myself a beautiful life? Is it not by the gold and the silver I will gather to myself by the works of my own hands that I'll be exalted unto life? You're fornicating with Babylon. You're marked by the beast because you've taken the beast's message into your heart. You've taken Nebuchadnezzar's message into your heart. He spoke great blasphemies when he said, by my might and my power. Herod spoke great blasphemies when he said that he was God that day. I'm a God, he said. He was fornicating with Babylon. He was marked by the beast. 
His eyes weren't anointed with eye salve. He didn't buy gold from Jesus. When the angel showed up in the corner of the room, his nakedness was uncovered by the iniquity that was in his heart. He didn't see himself clothed in a white robe, but rather he saw the riches that he thought that he had, the strength that he thought that he had to clothe himself with life was revealed to be full of a plague. And then that plague manifested in him, not from the angel, not from God, but from the iniquity that was in his heart. And then his body was consumed and returned to dust by gangrenous worms. Gangrenous worms. <laughs> Is this making any sense? Yeah. <laughs> it's not the only place in the scriptures where it talks about being marked in the hand and marked in the forehead in the Old Testament when the children of Israel were about to go into the promised land go read Deuteronomy and the children of Israel had been crying out for the flesh and not wanting the provision of God and God kept showing them that it was by strength of his hand and they kept crying out for the strength of their hand and Moses wasn't going to go over. Some people think God punished Moses. God didn't punish Moses. That was not punishment for Moses. If you notice, the children of Israel didn't want to talk to God. They wanted Moses to talk to God. They began worshiping Moses. Moses came down the mountain with the face that was glowing. They began looking to Moses instead of looking to God. And so Moses couldn't go over there with them, lest they not see God was their provision. And they started believing Moses was their provision. Human beings want to make someone king. I promise you, and whoever we think looks like they have honor, we want to make them king. We do it over and over. God didn't want the people to make Moses king. So Moses wasn't going over. But if you notice, God tells Moses, tell the children of Israel to bind my word on their hand and on their forehead. And do you know why he says? Lest they get into the land that is flowing with milk and honey and think that it's by their own strength and goodness that they have the land. Lest they see the houses that they didn't build, the buildings they didn't make, the vineyards they didn't plant. Lest they get into the land of milk and honey and think it was by the strength of their own hand that they got those things and they become marked by the message of the beast. And they begin worshiping Babylon and become merchants trafficking in Babylon. Lest they do that, wrap this word on your hand as a frontlet between your eyes. So that every time you go to look to your hand to think that your hand can gather life to yourself, you will be reminded, not by strength of your hand, but by strength of God's hand. And when you look at those things they wrote there, remember when Jesus said, what was you, scribes and Pharisees? You broaden your phylactery. Remember when he said that? Do you know what he's talking about? He's talking about that thing they wrapped on their arm. Do you know there was only five commandments that Moses, that God had Moses wrap up in that phylactery? It's this little bitty small case. And you would roll up a little Mm -hmm. tiny scroll that was like the size of a cigarette. Mm -hmm. And it was in the phylactery. And do you know the only things that were supposed to be on that? Mm -hmm. That it was by the strength of God's hand that we were led out of Egypt. Mm -hmm. That it was by the strength of God's hand that we received manna from heaven. That it was by the strength of God's hand, by the strength of God's hand, by the strength of God's hand. You shall have one God, the Lord your God. You shall not worship any other gods. And then it goes on to describe those gods as the works of your own hands. Those are the only things that were on the phylacteries. 
And that was supposed to remind them, to keep them from trafficking in the system of Babylon, the system of the serpent. He says, lest you perish from off the land. Because there's a plague in Babylon. And if you start trafficking in the life of Babylon, that's not life at all. It's actually death. And that's why he had them do that. And the Pharisees had that on them too? Oh, yeah. They walked around. I got one at my house. You put it on your head and you put it on. What was you, scribes and Pharisees? You broadened the phylactery. What you did, what they started adding all the things you're supposed to do. Because they were trafficking in Babylon. They became merchants of Babylon. And so they added to the commandment. Which commandment is everlasting life? You can't work to gain everlasting life. That's what Babylon tells you. That's what it means to be marked with the beats or the prophet or the message of Nebuchadnezzar. God is so full of mercy. This poor guy. He's like, I'm far out, man. I'm from heaven. I'm bringing forth water out of the rock. I mean, I led you out of Egypt. Did you guys do anything when I led you out of Egypt? Poor Jeremiah, when he comes as the prophet to Israel, and they've already broadened their phylacteries, and they think the blessing of life is found in performing carnal commandments. Jeremiah comes in chapter 7, he says, Did you have the commandment when God led you out of Egypt? Was it by your performing all the works of the law that you were led out of Egypt? No. Saying the same thing Jesus said, woe is you, you broaden your phylactery. You're buying and selling in Babylon because you're using their currency. You're looking to the works of your own hands and you're trafficking in the life you can gain by your own strength. And they perished from off the land, didn't they? Didn't they? Babylon's going to perish from off the land. That's what Revelation is prophesying of. Mm -hmm. The system of this world, the system that's been built on a corruptible life, a perishable life, really upon death, is going to perish from off this land. And all those who didn't buy gold of Jesus, didn't want eternal life as a gift, but wanted to enlist their own strength, they wanted to take the, the message of the beast into their heart, marked by that beast instead of sealed by the spirit of the living God, they're going to perish from off the land. Not because God wants them to, and not because God killed them. What does the scripture say? Their blood is on their own hands, it says. We keep wanting to put the blood on God's hands. Mm -hmm. Do you know Revelation talks over and over about the blood being on who? The whore of Babylon. Do you know the whore of Babylon is talking about the wisdom of the serpent? It's the spirit of the Antichrist. If you go and read in uh, Proverbs, it talks about the strange woman. Do you notice how it, she has all the same things it says Babylon has? And she deceives the foolish boy, the foolish man to come into her bed? It's not talking about a physical woman. It's talking about the serpent and his message, the spirit of the Antichrist, his word. That's what it's talking about. Proverbs also draws a distinction with the strange woman, with the virtuous woman. Do you know who the virtuous woman is? The Holy Spirit. Go and read Proverbs 8. It talks about a woman. It says she, and it says she was with God from the beginning. Yes. And it said she was let out in the earth by God to create. Amen. How does she lure the foolish boy into the bed? That's with all the silver and spices yeah. and gold, yes. the bed looks real nice. Looks soft, fine <laughs> linens. Yeah. It looks good for food. Yeah. It's using worldly pictures because we have bodies. And it's using imagery to teach us things. Right? 
But that thing's been used to really put a heavy yoke on women. women. Yeah. On all kinds of fronts. Yeah. Right? It leaves a woman thinking she could be the strange woman. You can't be the strange woman. <laughs> I don't care what you think you've done. You can't be the strange woman. You could be more like the boy that was deceived by the strange woman. <laughs> that's, the, that's the closest you're going to get. And I don't want to, ladies, I don't want to take anything from you. Lots of you are great blessings in our lives. And the spirit of the living God is in you and causes you to bless us because you're one with God. But you ain't the virtuous woman either. <laughs> so I don't want to put that heavy yoke on you. Now you can find that virtue born out of you. And I sing the praises of my wife. It talks about the woman that stands up in the court and speaks well of her husband. That's what the Holy Spirit did for Jesus when Jesus was nailed to the cross. And he needed someone to speak up and tell him. That's what the Holy Spirit does in us. Paul says the Holy Spirit intercedes in our hearts with words that aren't uttered out loud. When does he say the Holy Spirit does that? When we're encountering the tribulation in this world and it's trying to uncover our nakedness and it's trying to tell us that we are not good, that we are not valuable, that we are far from God. The Holy Spirit intercedes in our heart just like Proverbs 31 says and it speaks well of us yeah. in our hearts. God is with you. God loves you. You're not a lamb being led away to the slaughter. You're not in the earth without a shepherd. God is the shepherd of your life. Look what he did. He conquered death inside of the body of Jesus' resurrection. Peril or sword, none of these things can ever tell you that you're separated from love ever again because we see the love of God and what he'd done to conquer death in the flesh of Jesus. So you can come and point at the death in the world and the death in my life, and you can try to tell me that's a sign God's not with me. You can try to tell me that's a sign I'm a lamb being led away to the slaughter, but I see a different sign. I see that the Father has shepherded my life. I see that he was with me when he conquered death in the body of Jesus' resurrection. Right? Yeah. Okay, I think that... You guys understand the market? Yes. Yeah. You guys understand the buying and selling? Yeah. Okay, glory to God. Glory to God. Glory, glory. Um, in Proverbs um, 1 7, it says, The fear of the Lord or the reverence of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. And in verse 20, it says, Wisdom crieth without, she uttereth her voice in the street. She crieth in the chief place of concord, in the opening of the gate. In the city, she uttereth her voice. And you know, about 20 years ago, I had a, a moment with the Lord where he said to me, Beulah, this chief place of concourse is your heart. Mm. This is, that concourse is the traffic place, the busy place, the place where all business is conducted. It's your heart. And he, wisdom is crying to our heart to receive that wisdom. And I was already at Proverbs 9 with the two women. And really, all that we've talked about tonight really comes down to two wisdoms. Mm -hmm. The wisdom that comes from God yep. and the false wisdom that comes from Satan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a good word. And God yeah. wants you to receive his wisdom. He says, how long, you foolish ones, will you love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning. You know, mm -hmm. come unto me. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, he's the true light. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. The other 
You know, that, that word in Proverbs 9, the, the false woman, it says, this is what she says, who is simple, let him turn in hither. And as for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. I mean, this sounds so deceptive. But he knoweth not that the dead are there. Mm -hmm. and that her guests, her guests are in the depths of hell. Mm -hmm. That's what Babylon has yeah. to give you. Mm -hmm. you know? That's a good word. That concourse. I like yes. That. Yes. That's powerful. Mm -hmm. Yes, that was a mm -hmm. God word. Is anybody else going to say anything? I don't want to stop it. If somebody else... Come on, Steve. Y'all are good? Well, let's just pray real quick. Thank you, Father, for the revelation of Jesus Christ. Thank you that uh, everything spoken here tonight is contained in your Holy Spirit and that your Holy Spirit dwells in us. I thank you, Father, that the only reason why we could even speak about this tonight is because you're already moving to bring about uh, understanding, to enlighten the eyes of our understanding. Thank you, Father, that you minister to all our hearts the words of life, that you minister to all our hearts the eye salve, to where as we walk through this earth, that we see ourselves clothed in white raiment, that we see ourselves swaddled from the blood that's in this world, and we see ourselves clothed in the glory of your life. Thank you, Father, that the system of Babylon, that the world and the plague that's in the world, that the death that's in the world cannot uncover our nakedness, that it can never convince us that you're not with us, that it can never convince us that we're not yours and that you're not ours. Thank you, Father, that you are building and placing our lives upon you, upon a rock that yes, we can't Lord. be shaken. Thank you, Father, that Thank the you, church Lord. won't be shaken, Thank that you. this world and its system can't shake the church, right. and that the church will shine like a light in the earth, yes. and that the church will again begin to salt the earth Amen. with the word of what you've done to preserve us Amen. from death. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes, Amen. 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 Amen.